was chief of Project Blue Book at the time, and the name Professor Damsky, he had a title then, wasn't new to me. He and some of his followers have been showering the Air Force with photos of flying saucers. Letters by the gross were coming in demanding recognition of the great professor and an analysis of his photos. Welcome to the Alien Pro Podcast. Joining me today again is Dr. Bill. Hello. What's up, Bill? Hello. 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 Chapter you. Chapter nineteen. Off they chapter go. Chapter nineteen. Off they go into the wild the, blue yonder. From the report on unidentified flying objects, we're almost through it. We have two up two uh, chapters to go, and um, this is one of the more interest. Actually, this is one of the more interesting of the chapters. I, I feel. I'll turn my phone off here. Um, oh. So uh, yeah. What do you think? I mean, um, well, I'm seeing a so to recap what we talked about before. This chapter, the last three chapters of this book were added in 19 late 1950s and published in 1960 or 1966. And I think at that time, by Ruppelt, after he had left and retired from or left his active duty service for the from the Korean War. And I think these chapters were added in response because of the popularity of the book and the ongoing UFO interest. Uh, so these chapters, I, th I believe, and that he was asked to write these chapters in order to sort of walk back his what he was saying in the rest of the book. I think this was he was asked by the Air Force to to walk back on his 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 story that he was coming talking about with with ufos because as we've seen when we're reading this book it's uh it's a very positive straightforward slightly humorous take on ufos by somebody who i think does a pretty even-handed presentation of what he was seeing and and all the sightings and stuff his demeanor is the add-on episode uh, chapters um, like you said, he's walking it back and he's kind of like giving all these reports and then all of a sudden it's kind of like, uh, this chapter, you know, we're going to talk about oh, yeah. people that have seen Venusians and that's kind of how, um, uh, so that was early. I mean, we were all the way up to 56. Now we're kind of to 52, uh, talking about this. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if he, I don't know for what reason he oh. added you know, all of a sudden added these three. Well, this, you know. yeah, this wasn't something that he'd added in the previous book. The, um, I think Adam, Adamski, I think he wrote a book. He did write a book. He did. He wrote a couple books. Yeah. I think. And I haven't brought those, I haven't brought those up. So he was, he was, uh, talking about, well, yeah, Adamski, Professor Adamski. Was um, I don't know? I think he was he a Polish immigrant? I can't remember. And apparently, yeah, he was. An, yeah, and he had um, one of the things that I saw said he taught philosophy, although he um, apparently. Well, was, I don't know if he taught. I don't know if he was a, an instructor. He taught. He talked philosophy. Taught, taught it. I don't know if I, he I don't know. taught. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he taught it at a school. Or I don't, I'm not sure what the the uh, context was. But yeah, he, he wrote uh, two books. He wrote uh, "Flying Saucers Have Landed" and "Inside the Spaceships." And they at at that time, the time of this printing, they sold over two hundred thousand copies. It oh, was he, a big deal back then. Oh, he you was know, huge. This. He was huge. He had a um, he had a little diner down in uh, he. He may have, have worked Mount Palomar. Mount Palomar. He might have actually worked, done some work at the observatory. And at the bottom of the hill, there is a. It's still there. There's a campground, and the campground. I can't. I'm trying. I'm looking to see what it's called. The campground. It's a pretty impressive footprint in the backcountry in the years after World War II. 
uh, especially sort of a black belt in the Martian arts. That's what this one reporter is saying. Oh, <laughs> uh, da da da. Venusian, not really Martians. Oh, um, he used to hold late night seminars. He had a some sort of like facility down in um, Puma Valley, UFO centers, history of UFO and Valley Center. Nope, that's not it. Oh yeah, here it is. He um, he used to have maintained a post office box on Palomar Mountain, and uh, he liked to love the association with the uh, most powerful telescope in the world. The Palomar Observatory has a two hundred inch Hale telescope, and uh, he used to have. It's the Oak Knoll Campground, which is at the foot of the Palomar Mountain. And it's still there. And he had the building that was still there. He had a uh, hot dog stand or a little um, diner or something. Uh, Rupert yeah. mentions it. Well, he worked. Yeah, he had a like a bar. You know. Yeah, when yeah. They, when Rupert, when he was first talking about it in the early in the chapter, he walked into the diner and the guys just bussing tables and serving beer. Yeah. And then held court. You know, and everybody stopped drinking and listen. And you could hear the pin drop because this guy started, Adamski started, you know, telling, talking telling about his, his story. The tale. Yeah, yeah, the tale about how he met a Venusian. Met a Venusian. You know, and he met a Venusian. So it's, um, it's pretty crazy. I mean, well, he had also photographs that he sold of spaceships, UFOs. Yeah, I have, um, I have one there. of those here. You have one of the pictures? A representation of it. And it it looks like a... Uh, a pie a, tin? Yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> sort of an oblong, sort of an oblong cigar-shaped thing. And then it's got five white lights surrounding it. Yeah, that's where you lose me. They don't need lights. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, he, he, But he would sell these pictures. He'd make money. The guy apparently... Um, Oh, made a lot of money. Made a big living off of this. They had a, uh, yeah. they had a facility, and this is actually something that we could actually investigate at some point. Um, he had a facility which apparently is, is vacant. The land is still vacant, and uh, they had a commune on Valley Center Road, east of Cole Grand. This is in the community in the, I guess Puma Valley. It's L.A. This must be L.A. Uh, it's it's north. So, the no. Palomar is, I think, north of L.A. On it's at the top of a mountain. It's been closed because of the zombie apocalypse, and yes, I think they're I think they're opening it up now. And uh, is the observatory still there? Our observatory is still is that, there. I really, if I get if I get out there, yeah. we should go down there and check it out. I want to go to the yeah, observatory. We'll do that. I may have gone to the observ. I can't remember. I may have gone to the observatory in. Um, a long time ago on one of my trips down to LA just to check it out but I don't think it was open so I was just I oh I was only able to like drive up and just drive around it and then drive on and never get out of the car so he had um, he had the UFO education center oh no that was established after his death and then they were sued because there's still the Adamski trust so anyway but he was he made um, he made a lot of money was very popular lecturer and writer, and this is, um, I think my my take on this is there's like a there's like an escalation of or an escalation of the UFO. You have the UFO sightings, and then you had the people that saying that they've met UFOs, ridden on UFOs. They mentioned several people in this chapter, and like Adamski was the the first one. He was like <laughs> Rupelt. Actually, Rupelt's yeah. Pretty humorous writer, and he's talking about uh, yeah. sort of the competing UFO encounter people, and their um, yeah, and there was a, and they they were profiteering. I mean, it seems. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and people people really want to they uh, do. see this stuff, yeah. and then uh, so then you had that, and then you had um, the next thing that we saw was the the abductees. So in, like the Barney and Betty Hill, and then other people that yeah. were were following that that path, and one yeah, of the things, I, what's that? 
Oh, I feel like Barney and Betty Hill's probably the most, I don't want to say legitimate, but the most believable because of some of the facts that came to light. I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm keeping yeah. an open mind on all this stuff. I mean, I don't know uh, what to believe at this point, but I'm keeping an open mind. Uh, some of the stuff that I've, I've seen, if I find intriguing. Yeah. Uh, so, coming back to this. Adamski. Hey, do you want to do your, your commercial? Okay. Orion BCS Card Services is our latest sponsor. Do you own a business and take credit cards for payments? Are your fees higher than you'd like? Not sure? Want to find out? If your answer is yes to any of those questions, check out Orion Bank Card Services. So visit orionbcs.com and let them begin the process towards saving you money to help you realize your financial goals. Once again, visit orionbcs.com and contact them today. All programs of Orion BCS are subject to terms and conditions. Visit orionbcs.com for more in- information. And there we have it. And our back. latest sponsor. Your and latest, we're back. We're our latest sponsor. So yeah, yeah, we got another. We got another one coming. We're, we're not going. We're, we're not allowed to talk about it yet. But it's two the, weeks. I think we got okay. two more. Yeah, it's that one. Yeah, the fun one. <laughs> so yeah, this will be a little more fun. So Rupelt talks about they had competing people that were talking about uh, the abductees. Adamski, though, surprisingly, surprisingly uh, popular. And what I find is interesting is like uh, with us growing up, I never heard anything or saw anything about this guy before. But he's, well, it was in '52, and we just started reading. I mean, I don't think it just it was because it didn't come up. Well, yeah, it was before publicly, and it wasn't in any of the books that we chariots of the gods and all the others that we read related to the subject when we were younger. Uh, yeah, I don't think he, it was. And it he just died wasn't in our. He died in 1965. So this was. How old, how old was he when he, he died? He was 74. I okay, made it pretty far. And he's what? He is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Well, what? Military? Yeah. I didn't hear anything about him being ex-military. Well, See, they didn't say anything about that in here. Well, that's what it says. Uh, that's what it says here in the uh, on the Wikipedia page. It says resting place is Arlington National Cemetery. Well, Rupelt's article or his article, his chapter, doesn't mention anything about his past and that he was in the military. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Something we yeah, should yeah. look into. See who he was. Maybe he's a spook. It's Prussian kingdom of Prussia. <laughs> yeah, he wow. Been, he, was, he was a spy. Uh, okay. Was, <laughs> beginning in age twenty, was a soldier with the thirteenth U.S. Cavalry Regiment. K troop fighting at the Mexican border during the Pancho Villa expedition. Wow. What? Yeah. What year was that? 1913 to 1916. Holy wow. moly. That, I didn't have any idea that he did that. That was crazy. That is so cool. It's funny that Ru- Rupelt didn't even mention that in, in here. He might not have known. Wow. Well, he, He's supposed to be doing his, you know, supposed to be doing his due diligence and research. With, That's you right. Know, being who, who oh, he is. One of the things your your um, your biological dad was a retired captain in the navy, and do you know? Used to be the rules. I don't know if they are still in place, but a a, a navy officer that achieved the the rank of captain could be buried in Arlington. I so. didn't. I didn't even ask where, you know, it's funny. I didn't even ask where he was buried. Maybe I'm sure. Yeah, yeah he might be. Maybe they had a prefer, preferential place, but I, I ran across that somewhere. So it's like, oh, I mean, that's a, that's a. If you're married, does your wife get to be buried next to you at Arlington? Uh, you know? It's, I don't know. I know a lot of um, the veterans cemeteries do allow uh, double interments for the spouse to be, be buried at the same place. Sort of site, anyway. Because I think he was he was really close to his wife, so I mean he that she, would have been his. She passed study. away. I think it, she passed yeah, away before he did, so they're probably in the same place. Yeah, I think they're next to each other. Yeah, so that's that's I, why. I'm not, there's so many details of my new life that 
it's hard that to you don't know at this point in my life. <laughs> well, so, I hear so them and I'm, then I'm kind of like, I've filed them away. I every, have too many things to too many things to think about, like you know the Raiders player that you know. Oh yeah, oh he killed, was a good killed, was, was he? A, Ruggs was awesome. Yeah, yeah he's he wide was receiver. really good yeah, wide receiver. That's right. Yeah, he was their number one. Oh. I think he might have been the number one for. Uh, and it's this thing is really a. I mean, this is a fire. I don't want to get us. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it. But that, yeah, that, he was a great player. Yeah, just, uh, he was a great player, and it's it's just horrifying to me that he. Kill somebody. Number one, well, it's bad that he killed somebody. Well, it's a kid. And the dog. And the and the dog and died. The dog, you know, Deb's yes. like, well, that, yeah, but the dog died. And Deb's worked up about that. Well, this is the problem. You, get, you take these kids and you give them a lot of money and uh, they just don't know how to handle it. And, yeah, I, well, I, I, I hate it because he's – I hate it because of the tragedy of the situation. But yeah. then being, no, a, being a Raiders fan, I also hate it that um, they had a great wide receiver – that was yeah. going, was, well, we, we were five and two. Yeah, we already had Gruden fall off because it's idiocy. Yeah, and then now, and, and now they, we got they a, had a wide receiver. You know, this guy was going to have a great career yeah. and be great for the yeah, team. But, and it's just like, okay. but someone. Well, right. he he hit the he was going one hundred. You know, everything's yeah. tracked with these newer vehicles. So he has Corvette. Yeah. He was doing one hundred and fifty-seven. Yeah. Miles an hour, and then they said the airbags deployed at one hundred and twenty-seven miles an hour. I mean, this is one of the. No, I mean, you know, it was I, a wreck. It's a tragedy. It's horrible, it's and the thing caught on fire. And so, you basically, yeah, it was. It's bad, and really, that's the, the hell with football. That's it's a stupid thing. I, I hate to say the hell with football because I love football, but this is really number one. This is a stupid decision that has ruined his life and killed someone. Yeah, and it's just like well, the thing is, is the people kid, listening they, don't drink and drive. Yeah. Well, these kids. I mean, you take these kids, and all of a sudden they have all this money, and I mean, this is just, yeah. they just don't know how to handle it. And um, yeah, uh, I know that the I know yeah. that the league tries to they do they do coach the kids, counsel these kids, yeah. on you know financial matters, and they know that their contracts have a clause, a um, what do they call it? They call it a um, I don't know. You have a clause in there, a good behavior clause. So, yeah, and they have to, and they're they have to abide by that, or they'll be thrown off the team, kind of like they, Gruden was. Yeah. So I noticed yeah. with this kid too, it's like his his lawyers. He hired these lawyers, and then they like dumped him like a day later because it's probably, oh did they? Well, yeah, they dumped him after the team dropped him. So he got his yeah, upfront well, yeah, money. No money. He's got no money. He spent it all. I'm sure yeah. he spent it all, and he was anticipating. Yeah, he bought a million. His house was a million one, well, which he's, isn't. He's the house is which gone. isn't. Yeah, the house. I don't know if he paid cash for it, but yeah. Well, so he's 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 actually he's going to be broke very fast. It's a it's a horrible tragedy, and um, yeah, you know I always you know I like I love to see a great player, and I love to see a great player succeed, and so it's just and I hate to see stuff like this happen. We all love great players. We all we all want to we see do. them do well. Um, you know, Raiders are five and two. I'm like, you know what? Can you just like they're cursed? They are. They are, um, they, are cursed, absolutely, you know? they are absolutely the 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 team has the worst luck in the world. Yeah, so, they got this brand new stadium, the best, one of the best in the league, and then you know, I, I don't know how you feel about them moving to Las Vegas, but I feel that Las Vegas is a perfect city for them. Oh yeah, Sin yeah. City. Yeah, yeah, that's the. I mean, I yeah. grew up with the Raiders. My yeah. dad was a huge yeah. Raider fan. Yeah, we grew up, and with I, them. you know, you know the stories of going oh. to stadium. Oh, I, love I mean, the yeah, it's. The old the yeah. old Raiders were were something else. Oh, it was awesome. And then now we got this. Now we so, got this. But, and that's our sports note corner for, for, for today. The week. Oh, I should so the the UFOs story from what I'm seeing it as a you know, hopefully an impartial sci- scientific observer. Uh, so you have the sightings. You went to these uh, People are saying that they're going for rides with UFOs, like Adamski, who was very successful, very prominent uh, uh, career, talking about his experiences with being picked up by these these people. Uh, the Venusians. Venusians. Uh, also, they're, they're, they were worried about radiation or atomic bombs. And yeah, that's a big jo- big theme with these with these contacted yeah. people and 
that was a big theme in the culture up until you know the 80s is nuclear armageddon was the big yeah big thing that we are, were all concerned about i mean we had um Air raid, remember the air raid sirens? Siren, we'd have to get under our desks. We had an air raid Whoa. towers in our hometown. We had to do the, the duck and cover drills very early. I can remember doing that very early on. Then they stopped it after a while. But the air raid sirens would go off every every day at 12 noon. I don't know if they still do yep. that. I, I mean, don't think so. Last time I, I don't even think that thing's still there. That was over by where I lived. The, the tower was over, I believe, is where I like Grove Way, over where I there originally was a, There moved. was a couple of them. There was one by um, off of Lake uh, Lake Chabot by the park. Oh, really? By, there's Not the lake park, but the little park across from the grocery store, Ralph's or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Was, oh, yeah. There was a tower there, and that's the one that I could hear from my house and uh, where I grew up. And that one, um, yeah, that, I can remember that used to, for years. I think I, through high school, I think that thing used to go off at noon every day. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I was doing with noon. <laughs> yeah. Check your watch if you had one. Uh, so then we yeah. had the so you had these the people with the Venusians, and at the time people didn't know. Um, they had a good idea of what conditions were like on Mars and Venus, but not a really good idea. And there was a lot of speculation. So the, the the possibility of there being life on Mars and Venus was was sort of in the culture and in the science people the that was a possibility. So people coming forward and saying that I've encountered a Martian or a Venusian had a a degree of believability in it. Now it's like no, you know, Mars is a Mars has got a very thin atmosphere. There's probably I have a I believe that we're probably going to find some sort of microscopic life on Mars. And eventually, I think... Do you think, think we, there was ever people there or whatever? Uh, yeah, I don't... Was it ever populated with anybody? I mean, that's what Earth would look like millennium later oh, if billion, everybody two, died. Yeah, You know what I mean? It would be yeah, just... All life was to, to vanish, yeah. It would look like that because everything just... Yeah, you know yeah. the the media, the all the meteors and crap just keep hitting it, and no, but there's nobody there to really improve or fill in the holes or do anything. Yeah, yeah don't fill it, in just, the holes. You know, it, it, and you know, I always hope, oh, they're going to find something. That face, you know, that giant oh. rock that looks like a face there. Yeah, you know, on Mars. So I'm, you know, I'm is actually, that something? Yeah, I'm hoping that. Um, I I think and I hope that I think eventually they're going to find uh, interesting fossils, I, but I don't think we're going to find anything dramatic. We're going to find like early pre-Cambrian type fossils in, on Mars, something like that. We'll see. But it's I before we find something like that, I don't think it's going to be found with robots because the robots are just too limited. Uh, maybe coming up with the with the improved technology will be able to get robots that can actually do as good a job as a person walking around and looking at stuff we're going there i mean they're yeah, developing it's getting, there. it's getting there technology to put a base i guess a base there I, again we talked about why don't they go to and i did want to ask you know you know the the moon we always see the same side you know it doesn't yeah well we you know, can there actually, is a dark side that, you know there's a dark side we actually can see i can't remember the exact number we can see like 55 or 57% of the moon's surface because of precession. It sort of rocks a little bit. So we, we yeah. actually can see a little more than 50%. Yeah. So what's on the other side? Um, <laughs> we haven't been. Well, I, think I mean, was, I just keep reading about how all, dorks. not all the astronauts, the astronauts as they were on the moon have seen flying saucers and they've seen the buildings and there's a well and that NASA has erased they they had a team that erased the uh a team that actually erased there were images and they oh, their job was just to erase the pyramid like there was a pyramid there but yet um there was a pyramid there that um I guess I didn't turn that off like I wanted. Um, you know, is there something there? Was there something? Did they see something? I don't know. It's just it just I, keeps coming to light that there was 
Well, there was, it's like in this yeah. chapter, they're talking about one of these, these uh, abduction peoples that might have been a Dembski or someone else was talking about um, the back of the moon was populated, had cities and, and all sorts of stuff yeah. on it. And then the Russians sent up a lunar probe that took pictures. So if you look at oh, a map, okay. we've look seen at a, pictures. We, there are still, yeah, and okay. you know, the NASA missions. There's there's lots of pictures. Well, the Russian Senate did that. And that's why when you look at a map of the dark side of the moon, most of the major craters have uh, Russian names. It's because they they photographed it first. Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's got his his two hundred thousand copies. He sold his books. So I was talking about the escalation of of. of sort of this process. You had the, the saucer sightings and then you had like Adamski and these other people where they're seeing saucer visitors and then the next thing that come up was the uh, psychic communication of people that were were having psychic uh, communication with space aliens and saucers like the solar light retreat pamphlets which I got with some of the books that I ordered yeah. and uh I have one well, of now, Adamski had a compound. Did he have, like, one of these following? Did he have one of those weird, I don't want to say hippie-like followings, but, the, you know, people think would gather a, in there? Uh, yeah. Remember, that was the, the thing. Yeah, I yeah, think so. The and then there was also um, this thing called, uh, I haven't gotten to it. I'm reading the, I've read about it, and there's actually a recording of Rupelt visiting this thing. There's Black Rock in the desert of... of um, the Mojave Desert, and it's right. in one of the documentaries that we've seen on YouTube where they go to Black Rock, and all these people would um, congregate and tell their stories about being abducted and stuff. We'll, we'll talk more about that once I get uh, you know, something in the future. There's a lot of information to cover on, on this stuff. There's a t so much information. So, so... The psychic communication, like the stuff that I was seeing, so it's it's followed sort of a progression. But what's the progression is, uh, except for the abductions, the progression is followed to less evidence. You have the abductions, the saucer visitors. It's like, why don't they? This is something that people used to wish would, what's expected would happen with these abductions is that somebody would get a piece of technology or something that could prove the existence and that hasn't happened and then yeah, of course you have the psychic communicators I have one of these great ones which talks about the what is this a spiritual awakening man spiritual well, we awakening do, Ray Mir. We, we, do, we, do, we do have proof we've got velcro and printed circuits we just nobody's yeah, making it not, public where we got it that's not physical proof but no, <laughs> one of the that's the result of physical proof, though. We think, yeah, we, we surmise. We don't even know that either. So, we just could be one of those. We just really inventive all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> so, one of the things that uh, that came up is that. So we uh, sort of recap what we've been covering. So we had the Robertson report, Robertson's committee which was formed by the CIA to look into whether that was the previous chapter, just the previous chapter of this one or, or previous to that, to look at whether or not UFOs were a threat to the United States. And they came up with the conclusion that the UFOs were not a threat. But they also, I think, had a negative what we saw. They had a very negative, these, these recommendations that the panel made had a very negative impact on Project Blue Book. What we saw was, I think Rupelt talked about it in the previous chapter, they basically dismantled the program. When he left, he, he turned over command to an airman and not even to an yeah. officer. Yeah, and then they were later, Yeah. And then later, 1960, at the same time that this book came out with the three chapters, a book came out, Flying Saucers in the U.S. Air Force, the official Air Force story. After Rupelt left, the the whole sort of system changed to strip the panel, recommended a campaign of national security agencies to strip the UFO phenomena of its special status and eliminate their aura of mystery. 
and that's partly, and it outlined a program of public education for training and debunking. And that's what we're seeing, I think, with these three chapters that Ruppelt was asked to add to his book, asked or compelled to add to his books. And then there was this book by the Air Force, by Lieutenant Colonel Lawrence J. Tacker, that came out at the same time, where they talk about the flap says, ever since the public fear about flying saucers, the Air Force has conducted a careful investigation. Here is the authentic story of their long research and findings. By casting doubts on this program and the frankness of the reports, sensational authors have confused the public. This book will clarify that confusion. And the books, I've looked through it, the book's pretty interesting, but it's, it's obviously a, a big push and part of this training and debunking program, which is also... Which book was that? Did you this, hold it up? This was the Flying Saucers and the U.S. Air Force. I'm not sure. I thought you ordered this or got it. Mm. Yeah, you got to look around. You'll have to check it out. You'll have to check it out. And also they had a uh, one of the things that came up was um, Flying Saucers by Donald H. Menzel, Myth, Truth, and History, which doesn't do a great job of debunking. This came out in 1953. And something I ran across, because we've talked about in this book, Flying Saucers of the U.S. Air Force, they have a um, statement by Hynek. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a lengthy, and Hynek's did a um, complete reversal. Oh, this really? One, uh, he says, but our wishful thing will come out. What about all these evidence of flying saucers has been gathered all these years? Let the ast- astronomers alone. Let's just look at the evidence. Uh, there's the rub. What evidence? As consultant on these matters to the Air Force for many years, I have seen this evidence, and as a scientist, it leaves me quite frustrated. There is nothing there that any scientist would truly call scientific evidence. So, But then he did 180 later on, which we'll get to at some point. Okay. The Oh, also, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is great. In December 1953, and... Ruppelt was just talking about 1952. December 1953, the Joint Chiefs of Staff moved to plug any leaks by making the unauthorized release of information on UFOs a crime under the Espionage Act, punishable by $10,000 fine or up to 10 years in in prison. (laughs) Great. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... That's, Why is that? Yeah, the government's doing a big push to... um, well, part of the reasons what they said is that they were interested in, uh, they felt that the Soviets could use the UFO flaps as a way of overwhelming the communication system. Because remember, at the 50s, at this early time, we didn't have radar coverage for the whole country. And what we had was, um, we had the Aircraft Recognition Corps, which was volunteers, that would basically you would sit out in your yard with uh, with binoc- binoculars binos and yeah. watch the sky and call in reports and as we've seen from some of these things with the Ruppelt's book this happened they had a couple good good sightings unknowns that he mentioned in the previous chapter but yeah it keeps uh, i mean it's it's an interesting story so we have the not they're not abductees. They're people that are being invited onto the ships. Did you like the one where he he uh, in the chapter where the, he, the guy walks up to the ship and then the guy goes, "I wouldn't do that if I was you, buddy." When he goes to touch yeah, the ship, pal. he goes, "Pal, yeah." That's yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah, the Venusians talking like he's yeah. a freaking gangster. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't do that, buddy. It's hot. That, it's hot. It's hot. And it's glowing, which, yeah. you know, and they're selling, you know, people are selling, you know, audio tapes for 450 for a 10 minute. But that's big money back in the Oh, 50s. huge. I huge. mean, it's a PT Barnum, he mentions. Yeah, it's, yeah, the whole thing, you know, and then there was the, you know, the a guy that was camping by White Sands and he was approached by a Venusian also. And I'm, you know, I'm fascinated with white sands. I think. Uh, oh yeah. You know, like you said, it's. Be- I don't that, know. It's. Be- well, we don't believe, but it's believable. Well, there was that one sighting that's really stuck with me about the guy that was traveling from point A to point B and saw something remarkable at White Sands. 
and, yeah, and, and that's it was when that I, ship that yeah yeah lands something in front of him and he thought it was an exercise and it was flares and it's some other stuff and this is an intelligence officer from the base who has i mean it's a solid interesting report and it's either some sort of strange natural phenomenon a um possibility this is one of the things that is, has come up numerous times that the air force which they repeatedly deny have uh, super secret special aircraft that can do amazing things uh, yep. which if they did would be would be amazing but uh oh that's one of the things i noticed in that report that's around that time and around this time 1953 uh, when there, when Adamski was becoming very popular and and emerging and and becoming very wealthy, which is cool, great for him, and doing lectures yep. and and all this stuff, selling his pictures. The reports went from confidential to secret for Project Blue Book, uh, which is a which is a big shift. And then in the '60s, I actually oh I sent you that. Um, Look magazine on UFOs from 1967. I sent you a ginormous PDF. Yes. Yeah, and, and it has a, downloaded into the book section. I haven't seen. Yeah, it, it has a picture of uh, Quentin Nia, who was Project Blue Book in the 1960s, and a picture of the entire staff of Project Blue Book. It's like five people. So. Oh really? Yeah, it's. Uh, it's. Well, that'd I, be awesome. Yeah, I mean Project Blue Book. I'll I mean it's like it two two female staff and like three three other people, including Quentin Nia. And poor Quentin Nia, when they, um, what's that? Well, it's hardly anybody. To, I mean, nothing. it just seems, like, yeah, it's nothing. Seems seems like you have to have a much larger staff to take care of every report, or at least sift through them. Yeah, so it's you like know. when the Air Force, especially when this other book came out, when the Air Force is saying that we're doing all this stuff for Project Blue Book. Uh, I don't know. It seemed to be a lot of uh, lip service. It'd been a lot of a lot, yeah. of, lot not a lot of action, and with. In the '60s, early '60s, with Quentin Nia in there, there was not a lot of resources, and they were talking about these cameras and stuff. The cameras went away. I mean, Rupelt, they were doing these these grids to do things and these cameras and all this stuff. All the the recommendations that to sort of document it uh, went away, and now we have Project Galileo that is. Uh, building you know high resolution cameras to look into this and we didn't mention the other news with project galileo which was that chris mellon and louis alizondo have joined project galileo interesting yeah well it makes sense i mean it's it seems seems right it seems that they should do that you think alizondo knows more than he's conveying like he, he's he's limited because you said his pension's risk. <laughs> he, well, he he is does, that could that be it? He does have well, yeah. he does have certain obligations. Yeah. Well, it would but be yeah, stupid to come out. I mean, you're well, never going to be compensated enough if they take your your pension away. Well, he has you know unless he, you're unless it's huge. He has said yeah. there are things he can't talk about. And, well, there's that, things that everybody can't talk about, but it's like yeah. what is yeah. Uh, we don't is know. it UFO related or is it just something? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, we don't know. And I think that's a I, I I think it's a good cool thing that he's they're doing that it makes sense. So Project Galileo, yeah. we'll see what happens with that. So you had texted me earlier in this week about uh, the Mari Island incident where the flying saucers collided. Yeah, that was UF the UFO. What's the name of the hunters? Um, UFO hunters, yeah, and it's this guy who's he's the leader, which is old, like our age or older, uh-huh. and he, a couple of guys, researchers tag along with him, and they went to that, and I know I remember this story from before. We've talked about it before, I'm sure. yeah. I, I and I, you know he's, they're in a boat. They got his kid. They're fishing, and like four donut shaped UFOs come over the top of the come over the top of them and one of them's wobbling like it's out a little bit out of control and then yeah. it starts dumping this stuff out of it this molten rock or which is how they explained it and it would hit the, the boat not ship his boat it killed the dog yeah. it injured the kid's arm yeah 
they allegedly so that that was the story and then some air force officers well they sent in a b-25 mitchell bomber that carried i mean it's not really they're bombing anything but that's what they flew in on yeah a couple of i don't know if they were what they were air force but i don't know what uh they were air force but i don't know but they said there was a couple of guys which could have been researchers of some kind that were uh you you know maybe it was people involved with blue book but um the plane leaves and then it freaking crashes and then so it's got they took a box like a shoe box full of this molten material or with them and it was on the it was on the b25 and then when it went down so these guys so in comes the ufo hunters so they're they went into the they dived did you watch the episode no, I, I, I couldn't will. find it after I watched it once. It's it's season one, episode one. So okay. they dived into I think it's the Puget, Puget Sound, maybe Puget Sound, maybe. Yeah. And then uh, they didn't really find. They found a couple things. It could be molten rock. And then they were of course sent them to a lab. And the guy says, "Yeah, this is the most interesting one, but it's fairly common. It's just volcanic material." Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. like I brought you in Oakland when I said, "Holy shit, look at this!" Yeah. Like I found something crazy. And yeah. We threw it in your fireplace and it glowed <laughs> and, blue, but it, it was black from a train. So it's uh, so then they and I didn't get it. I couldn't find it to finish it, but they found the wreckage. Well, the wreckage had been taken away, but there were still pieces of the B twenty five. So then they're they're sifting over this B twenty five. So I was kinda of wondering if they found anything else and I didn't get a chance to finish it. So we'll have a further report on this yes. later. But uh, the Okay. It was interesting. I know you know are they gonna it was just sinister. I thought the whole thing was I mean they've established that the plane did go down. It did crash, but the B twenty fives were notorious and I'm a little bit of an air aircraft buff. They are notoriously Bad handling aircraft. Is that I mean, the one you better the, you got to be on your game. Is that the one with the double, twin tails? Double, oh yeah, those yeah, are. it's a twin tail. Yeah, those. Yeah, it has a twin tail. It's not the twin body, you know. No. But it, it so it, it they're just notoriously bad handling aircraft. Yeah. So they they surmise well the thing just crashed, and so they were trying to decide what made it. You know, they're trying to do this forensic thing about was this expo- this part exposed to heat and this part not. Yeah, they were doing their due diligence, and it's a yeah. good. It, I don't want to say it's a hokey show, but this is a this is a story that we've run across before, and it was kind of interesting. And but I believe, well, I don't believe I I read on it, and the guy and the captain, the captain of the boat, the guy, the boat owner, said that it was he de- denied that it that's what actually happened. He came out and obviously not obviously, but. Ultimately said, "Oh, that that isn't what happened." And then later on in his years, he says that did happen. So I don't know if Men in Black came in and told him to shut up or what happened. But he said, "No, nah, this didn't happen." Then he changed his mind later. So I don't know. You know, people like notoriety. Well, Who knows what the real? It's story funny is. because I was looking at um, after you told me that I was looking at the new report on flying saucers published by True Magazine, number two which was published in 19... It's actually, somebody dated it. That's interesting. 11-27-1967. And um, Theodore did Sturgeon... Did they manually... Did they write it? Did they write well, in the date? or what? Is yeah, it's written. It's it, You can look on the publishing page, and it, it says 1967, but somebody actually wrote a date on the front cover. I'm going to pick this up. Interesting. And it has an article in here by Theodore Sturgeon, who was a science fiction writer, who I never really got interested in but he um he read a bunch of these books and it's called the it's terrible fanciful world of flying saucers a critic finds that some of the most imaginative and distorted thinking regarding ufos taking place in the rash of books on the stands today and he urges you to strict of strict avoidance of them so he looked at uh several of these books and one of them two of them one of them i just i was looking at i just bought it and oh i have i have three of these books and he's but i was reading this article 
and he's got flying saucers, the startling ev evidence of the invasion from outer space. I think I just sent you that book. And then They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers by Gray Barker. That's the first book where I think Men in Black come up, where he talks about this is a guy he's investigating uh, UFO sightings, and people are sort of backing off on it. And this is, this is, I believe, the first mention of Men in Black. And then the last one was Real, the Real UFO, the Real UFO, oh, he's got a list here. Real UFO Invasion by Raymond A. Palmer. I was taking a look at that book, and I happened to find a description of the chapters in the book. And one of the chapters was, uh, some of these chapters are really good. So this guy, Palmer, to give a bit of a, a background on it, Palmer. So Palmer was the editor for Amazing Stories magazine. And then he, he became the editor for Fate magazine, which has... Uh, Fate issue number one has the article up by Arnold about his encounter with, with UFOs. Right. And this guy also wrote with Arnold his book, The Coming of the Saucers, which I think is, is uh, I have an e-book. So, some of these older books, you, you can get them online for you know, free, obviously, for e-books. And I was just looking at the, the uh, Coming of the Saucers book, and chapter two is the Murray Island incident where... Arnold goes and interviews the guy, Harold Dahl. And that looks that was real interesting. But the um, I discovered that because this, this book, The Coming of the Saucers, Flying Saucers, and these are some these uh, these are summaries, these are stories from Palmer did Flying Saucer magazine. That might be interesting because this is a first hand account of what happened with the Maury Island, unfiltered and early. So he talks about he talks about it. So he got uh, he finally meets with him. He says, "Tired of hungry, make an appointment with Mr. Dahl for the next day." But it's fairly bursting with curiosity what he would look like. Harold Dahl rapped on my door. Oh, he talked to him. He said, "I thought he he had this spent an hour on the phone convincing the guy to come talk to him." Mr. Dahl stated that he refused to talk about or discuss the matter of his experience. So I thought that this rather strange since so much smoke. Mr. Dahl stated that he refused to talk about or discuss the matter of his experience or flying disc with anyone. I think I was on the line a half hour before convincing him that whether a story was true or false, I had come all the way to talk to him, and doggone it, I wouldn't get back home without an audience. I think, yeah, I think we should look at look into this, and I think this is a, the really good place to start, is looking at this chapter in Arnold's book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's the first-hand account of the Maury Island incidents. I think that's where we should start because that one was interesting because it's like the FBI supposedly came in and looked at it and said it's a it's you know a farce and you know and this one has has gone back and forth a couple times. So anyway, that's that's exciting. Yes, I would. I would definitely watch that ex episode. Remember episode season one? Yeah, it's I the first check, one, I guess. I'll that's check weird. it out. But it's interesting. But I couldn't find it. I went to look, search for it later in another TV, and oh, it was I think, weird. I couldn't find it again. I think it's on YouTube. I think you can find it on. YouTube. It was, yeah, it is on YouTube. Yeah, that's where I found it. Well, what's interesting is um, there's this the guy that wrote the book with the coming of the saucers is this guy named Raymond Palmer, and he has been noted. He was a publisher editor for Amazing Stories magazine. And Amazing Stories magazine was, I mean, one of the big pulp magazines. It was launched by um, Hugo Gernsbeck, uh, which the Hugo Awards. Right. And this guy Palmer published a bunch of books called the uh, Shaver Mysteries. And this guy would write these stories about um, civilizations that lived underground. And the thing that made it interesting, and people got fascinated with this, was because these stories were written in such a way that they were, the guy claimed that he had personal experience of an ancient civilization that harbored fantastic technology in the caverns under the earth. So you talk about the, uh, I mean, I know one of your favorite things is the um, Hollow Earth stories. Yes. 
So this guy. And the, it, it kind of, and I'm going to cut in real quick. This ties into that. We did our underground bases episode. I did that with Kevin. Yeah. But there's that base in Nevada where it's a submarine base in the oh. middle of Nevada. <laughs> well, and you were reason. talking about the, uh, the guy tunneling with the grays and the books that you were reading. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. So in this, in this book, The Shaver Mysteries, he goes, chapter one, City of the Titans, he goes, just part of it. He says, Sub-Atlan is just below Atlantis, while Teen City is located at the center of Mu at a great depth below Sub-Atlan. The walls of the great cavern in which Teen City is located are hardened to untellable strength by treatment with ray flows, which feed its growth until it is of great density. There are many other cities which grew through the centuries to vast size, but none so great as Teen City. Some are abandoned, but all are indestructible, their cavern walls too dense to penetrate or to collapse. And this was, um, wow. these were hugely popular stories, and apparently the sales, like amazing stories, just went through the, went through the roof. And Ray Palmer was the guy that uh, really promoted the stuff, and he's apparently was a big booster of UFOs and UFO stories and, and things like that. And he was a competitor, I think, with John Campbell, who wrote Who Goes There, which became the movie The Thing, several movies The Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it sort of all ties together some way or another. Did you know that they're coming out with, they're developing a new Thing movie? based on no, a new, not another one. <laughs> well, uh, John Campbell actually, actually wrote a novel based on, on the story called Who Goes There. And Blumhouse, right. Blumhouse Pictures, which does horror movies has um, licensed the the book and the story, Who Goes There, to make a new Thing movie. Hopefully in the next year That'd or so good. we'll see that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. We just watched Tom Hanks. It's called Fitch. Oh, okay. uh, uh, yeah, with the dog, the robot. The robot? Fitch, Fitch, I think. How was it? Yeah, and it it was good. Only our internet kept cutting out. We, it's on Apple. Do you, you get yeah, Apple TV? Yeah, yeah. But if we got a fire stick... And it's like it kept not, it. Well, it was annoying. It took, it's a two-hour movie. It took us like three hours to get through it because it just kept dying. We had to keep resetting it. We don't know why. We don't. We're checking the internet and things. But it was pretty good. It was. It was a tearjerker. I have to admit. Uh-huh. It was. Uh, it was a real. T- yeah, I don't like it either. I don't like watching it with my wife right there. But I did. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, and a dog, you know, anything with a dog and a robot and Tom Hanks, you just, you can't go wrong. You just can't. Yeah. So, it's, uh, it's a good combination. He's great. I, my favorite movie by him is Castaway. Yeah. That's a good movie. That yeah. is a really good yeah. movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it, that's not a true story, is it? No. No, no it's not. Okay. It's, yeah. a, it's a great movie. You out there to be true. Yeah. He was at, uh, he was at the junior college the year before I was there. So I missed him. Oh by, no, kidding! Missed him by a year. You missed him. Oh no, which JC Chabot? Chabot, yeah, he was there. Oh no, kidding! He was there in the theater program, and uh, I did uh, stagehand stuff in the theater my first year there. And they, um, the theater program, had sort of done a changeover with people, and people would talk about how great the program was the previous few years. But they had a, a lot yeah. of people. So, but right. yeah, he was there, um, and then moved on to do. Um, his career be famous so, missed him missed yeah like, him you know Clint, well clint eastwood came out of our neck of the woods too he was uh-huh. a, he went to uh skyline i think he went to skyline high yeah Oakland. so did hanks we definitely i want to come back to go i want to look at the Mari island incidents in some depth and read that chapter in in arnold's book how do you spell the Mari? is it m-a-u-r-y i'll send you the link for like the Mari. Mori, Mori, Mori. I'll send you the link <laughs> of the book. <laughs> yeah, because I think there's something to. I don't know. I don't want to get too crazy, but it's kind of a weird set of circumstances. It is, it, and it's gone back and forth. Because I read um, uh, one of the things in this book that I just picked up. Ray Palmer's lengthy. There's chapter six. Is Ray Palmer's lengthy rebuttal to Edward Ruppelt's charge in the report on unidentified flying objects that the Mari incident was a hoax. Followed by an extract from The Coming of the Saucers in which analysis are provided of the smelter slag and the mystery material discharged by an unknown craft over Mari Island on 21st June 1947. 
I will. Uh, I ordered that book. Of course, since it's an old UFO book, people charge a friggin' a arm and a leg dollars. for it. Yeah, I got one. Well, for, let me. I got one. I got well, one for cheap. Ask. I got one for cheap. It's beat to hell, and I will. I will copy <laughs> that chapter for you. And the uh, the book, but the book may not survive. This thing looks like it's ready to just collapse. But yeah, I had one of those. One of mine that I tried to, and I ended up putting it in a sandwich bag because it disintegrated. Yeah, I may do that. The, with um, the now, what are the latest book? Is there books that have been published since 2015 or anything that you've run across? Is there any later books on UFOs? UFO? Yeah, hang on. Let me look at my extensive your bibliography. Well, my bibliography is, as you know, as I prefer to work from the, I prefer to work from the past on the original yes. original material and then work forward. So let me I was see. just wondering if you've run across anything. As a, I'm looking. Hang on. I mean, we'll get that. We'll get there. But I mean, it's published now that has something to do with the past. Because um, all the books we're getting are older. Well, what but, I have, know. I got a book here called. All right, 2019. You have these books: Dreamland by Lazar, CIA UFO oh, papers. Yeah. 2019. You have those. Yeah. I was just curious. I mean, we'll get there. It was, I was just kind of wondering what, I got you a, know, if anybody's doing anything now or if we're just not caring enough about I, it. I haven't. I have as one. A, as a people. <laughs> uh, I got that book. Yeah, they, I got a book from 2014 that I picked up at the library book sale by Nick Redfern, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Sounds interesting. Uh, 2010... By Leslie Keene, that's that lady, researcher, UFO generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. That's a 2010 book. Frank Salisbury, Utah UFO display. Okay, yeah, and we talked about that. That's out at uh, Skinwalker Ranch, that area. That's oh, the yeah. updated updated reprint of the uh, 1974 edition. And then uh, 2009, Witness to Roswell is the most current thing that I think I have right now then they have that but I'm sure there's more I mean I've been working you know you know how I'm doing it I'm working from the past yeah. forward well that's how we're approaching this yeah now and then we drop back as we find like the Maury Island incident and kind of yeah I, I really want to come into it a little further yeah I really want to look into that that's um because I've seen I've read the I read the report by Rupelt they said okay so there's nothing here and then I've come back I've seen some other things where people uh, the FBI apparently did a really didn't do much. FBI did investigate it, but they didn't do much of an investigation. And just the statement from Arnold in his book, where the guy says um, he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, which happens with a lot of these people when they come forward and they talk about the stuff, and then they just get hammered. And, yeah, and go. Um, I don't want to have anything to do with this because it's just disrupted my life too much. Yeah. There's one of the other things is, is remember that Musk saying there's no good UFO pictures. There's one picture in the uh, scientific study of unidentified flying saucers, the Condon report. There's one, two photos that were taken by this farmer that are the only photos in that report where... You have a nice, decent photo of a UFO that has been photographed, has been the people have been investigated and the photo's been analyzed where they it's they can say it's not they don't know what it is. It looks like a it's a flying saucer, basically. Yeah. And right. the, the they can't that, identify it as anything else. Yeah, and the people that took yeah. the picture, no vested interest in faking it. They made no money on it. They just said this is what we saw we're farmers we saw this thing i grabbed the camera took some pictures they don't want any celebrity or anything like that so there's at least that one then there's another one which happened in la and these pictures are really good and they were polaroids and that one was extensively investigated by uh james mcdonald and he had one question about one pictures and that's those pictures have an interesting history and i have an article on that and a reanalysis because those, this guy took these Polaroids. He was a um, inspector, like a roads inspector for the county or something. 
and he saw this flying saucer. He took these pictures. Everybody says he's a decent guy. They did an extensive investigation. Somebody showed up at the guy's house with in a military uniform, showed him an ID, said, I, can I borrow the pictures? Because he's lent them out to different agencies and stuff for analysis. Wow. Oh, wow. He and never then, got they, back, and then right? they never got, he never got him back. Yeah. I heard Come, about this story. Yeah. Decades later, uh, there was somebody who was doing a documentary, and apparently somebody had these original photos. And I think what happened was that the documentarians... It's when you're publishing photos, any photo that you take is copyrighted. If you put it on the internet, it's your property. And so the document, or if you want to make a movie or do anything like that. So the documentarians were like, I think had these, somebody made the original photos available to the documentarians. The documentarians are like, we can't use these because you don't own them. Yeah, copyrighted. Yeah, you don't own them. These were stolen from the guy. We can't use them. So then the guy gets a phone call. And that originally took the photos, this is check your mail, check your mailbox. So he goes out, he checks your mailbox, there's nothing there. And then a little while later, he gets another phone call, says check your mailbox. He goes out there, and this is like 20 years later or something crazy, and it's the original photos in an envelope in his mailbox. That's crazy. And I actually have an article with a reanalysis of these photos, and James McDonald, uh, Professor McDonald, who gave Quentin Nia a really hard time about Project Blue Book, because Project Blue Book would allow genuine scientists and reporters to go into their files. So McDonald would go there and go through the files and just rage at Quentin Nia about, why aren't you investigating these? What? Look at this file. Look at what's happening here. Why aren't you doing more depth stuff? And poor Quentin Nia is going, I'm just an idiot. I'm doing a bad okay. job. I mean, the poor guy. I mean, I felt yeah, he's sorry. over his head. Oh, I just felt sorry for the guy. But anyway, so that's one of the things that I've just seen recently is that there are a few pictures that that look good and are interesting and have decent resolution. And you come back to the one, like the one in the Alps where the Italian guy took the picture and lost his job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one bugs me because it's like, I don't know. Everyone's going, oh, you faked the pictures. And the guy's... I don't know. Maybe the guy yeah, faked it. it. Maybe, fit. maybe, yeah, it doesn't fit. And then in yeah. this Look magazine, which you, I sent you the PDF. I just bought. I just ordered one from eBay, original one. It's got a picture from somewhere in South America, where it has this cigar-shaped craft flying across. You know the picture, and it's got a, a smoke plume coming out of the back. And it's an oh. awesome picture. And I don't know if it's faked or not, but I decided I wanted to get the original magazine because the picture just looks so cool. Anyway, wow. photographs. There, there's decent one out, decent ones out there. I don't know what they mean, but that one that the farmers took are very compelling. And coming back on on the UFO stuff, the thing that bothers me is there's not a consistent consistency in the shape of the craft. And that, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if, if every time somebody saw a UFO, it looked exactly the same, it would be something. But I don't know. Well, well you know, one looks like a Volkswagen, one looks like a Corvette. You know, it's yeah. like the other sport model. Like, you know, yeah. they have the the one that, you know, just comes from, you know, the because the, they say larger ones are in orbit, the motherships, and then there's smaller, you know, and then there's scout craft, like the 18-inch one where the farmer had in his arm and he had to set it down and flew away. You know, it's yeah. This, <laughs> this this chapter that I'm reading of, of just started reading on the Maury incident with with McDonald is he's flying into this place to look at um, to interview this guy, and he said he saw a bunch of little little um, UFOs flying and tried to film them with his camera, but he was flying out. Yeah. Said he saw a bunch of little tiny UFOs flying around. So I don't know. Interesting. I think the Arnold book's worth looking at. And before I just, this, it. and it's an early, it's a very early UFO book. We should have looked at that a while ago. And when did that, oh, that came out in 1952. Amazing. Yeah. You wrap it up, sir? Yes. And we should also look at Behind the Flying Saucers, which is, has come as a phony, a book that was a hoax. There are some 
shady stuff that happened with the guy that was investigating people. But then it's come back around again where the possibility that there wasn't just one crash in the Roswell area, there were two crashes. And this book... The Corona. This is the Corona crash. The Corona crash. crash. And this book is the Corona crash versus the Roswell crash. Anyway, yeah, that's it. Enough of my um, ongoing ramble. Awesome. All right. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Alien Probe podcast. We welcome comments, questions, or requests to alienprobepodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook at alienprobe.net, Twitter at alienprobepod, Instagram at alienprobepod. Thanks again to our latest sponsor, Orion BCS. Thanks to our senior producer, Robert Anthony. And thanks again, Dr. Bill, for coming to see us. Don't forget to catch us on YouTube. See you next time. All right. I will we'll talk about this in a week. Yeah, this is... Uh... Yeah, that Maury Island thing is. When I saw that, I went. I know you said, "Hey, I don't." I go, "Dude, it's weird. I don't know." I, uh, the thing is, is that you you come back and forth on these things when you look at them and you go, "Okay, it's a hoax," and then you come back at it and you go, uh, "You see other evidence." You go, "Wait a minute. Okay, something else is going on here." We're seeing a lot of that. Seeing a bit of back and forth.